Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Ephesians 5. Once upon a time, who here who has been married before is willing to admit that on the day you said your vows, you didn't know a darn thing about marriage? Ooh, Pastor Dennis has the humility to stretch that thing vertical. On this day, there are feelings. You're feeling the feels. And there might even be a deep sense of commitment as well. And I don't mean to throw any shade on that sense of commitment. I I think that that commitment grows and matures over time, Lord willing, right? We say a vow and then we slowly find out what the vow means. Hey, anybody who served in the armed services, anybody sworn allegiance to our constitution and slowly found out in boot camp what that meant? But the day is magical, isn't it? I remember in particular, I think my favorite part is that I had an excuse for all of my favorite people to be in one room. They can't not come to your wedding. Grandma, you know, grandmas flew in, uncles flew in that I wasn't even expecting. It's a lovely day. It's a lovely day. And how many of us are not prepared for reality, what things can actually feel like, it comes later. Maybe for some of you it was a week later. Maybe it was five years later. Or let me say it this way. How long is the honeymoon period? How long is it before the endorphins wear off just a tiny bit and we've had a couple of good knockdown drag out fights? How long is it, fellas, before you find out you're not ever going to win one of those fights? (laughs) And then despair sets in. Guys, part of the reason that we're going to talk the next six weeks about what God has to tell us about marriage is because Hallmark Channel doesn't have an answer for this. Rom-coms tell us that in 90 minutes there'll be a trite apology and everything will be fine and then they'll play music and roll the credits. Call me a liar. In real life, our problems are not solved after 90 minutes, are they? That would be nice. And depending on whether you're married or single, single again, um, young, never married before, Um, the next six weeks as we talk about marriage today we're going to find out why all of us would look into the Bible to study marriage whether we're married now or not we're going to see the implications are much bigger than the two participants but some of us I'm just speaking for myself here in the middle of this and it doesn't feel good and sometimes you have to even ask questions like do I feel lied to by God 
Do I feel lied to by my spouse? Where did my expectations come from? The yearning and the angst, if I'm willing to slow down, take a deep breath and go, what is it that I really want here? Honestly, I think I just want to be happy in the moment. I want my spouse to be happy. I want me to be happy. I want everything to be fine. And if you slow down and you go a layer deeper for, for a Christian husband or for a Christian woman, that's actually not your angst. That's not what you probably want. This is what you want. Both people in this picture are over 100. I really think that I want Emily to be happy with me in the moment, and I think that I want to be happy with her. But deep down, this is what I want. So how do we get there? How do we get there? The next six weeks, our series is called Real Marriage. Not the fake one on TV, not the one that was in my head. Reality as generously given to us by a God who loves us and who created marriage. Today's sermon is entitled God's Love and God's Image. It's a two-point sermon, essentially, and you're going to see why. God's love and God's image are the center of what is going on in this institution that he made. Now I'm going to read with you what is perhaps one of the most controversial texts in all of Scripture— We'll see if I get hit with tomatoes during the reading of it. We'll see if my tires are slashed out in the parking lot. And to make matters worse, some of the most controversial pieces of it, I'm not even going to explain until next week. So you're just going to have to deal with this angst all week long. Our brother Paul, first century pastor, talking to the church at Ephesus. We're starting at verse 21. Read with me. And further, does that mean like he's in the middle of a thought? Okay, so let's just take that into context. He's in the middle of a thought. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Holy Spirit, we are entrusting you with a lot today because we've got experiences and we have cultural beliefs. And when your word is read or when, when we look into it, um, all of those cultural beliefs get all riled up. And we have fears 
from our experiences. And we've got, I don't know if I agree with this and that. And, and we need you, Holy Spirit, to teach us the word. God, we need you to teach us the next six weeks what your word actually says, not the painful abuse that we experienced previously or the thing that we were told it means that was wrong. God, we need freedom in so many ways, God, but these next six weeks, we particularly ask for freedom for married men and married women, men and women who will be married one day, men and women who were married and are trying to make sense of what their experience was. God, we need your grace and we need your leadership as always. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. Note takers, a great marriage shows us how Jesus loves us. A great marriage shows us how Jesus loves us. So you guys, fellas, tell me, what did the text say about how Jesus loves the church? What did the text say? Gave his life for her. So the cross is this undeniable statement that he loves those who he's about to say. He, he, he will pay the penalty of sin on your behalf and on mine to, to reconcile us to the Father. And Paul comes in here, and just when we thought we were going to do a talk on marriage, Paul's talking about the cross again. This guy can't be stopped. He just keeps talking about Jesus. We'd love to get him on another topic, but he won't have it. Oh, you guys are having trouble in marriage? Let me help you out. It's not about you. What? That's not, Burger King told me to have it my way. Does your wife work at Burger King? No. Okay. God is telling us, hey, since I'm eternal, since I exist from eternity past, I might have thought about this a little bit. Since I de designed marriage from my own creative and generous heart, I might have some ideas. And I might just have known that when I revealed truth to you on Sinai, I might have known that you weren't going to be able to keep the rules. I might have known I was going to send my son to be perfect where you could not be perfect. I might have known that I was going to send him to the cross that you deserved to show my manifest love for rebellious children. Maybe I knew all that. And so maybe that's one of the reasons that I tell a man to sacrificially love his wife. Does a God who creates everything have a right to tell us what to do? Right. If you're not a Christian, the answer is no. Otherwise, you'd be a Christian. If you're a Christian, the answer is yes, but then you feel guilty saying yes because you know, and I know that we don't live that out. <laughs> Does he have a right to tell us how it works? Yeah, and in fact, he's smarter than us. He loves us more than we love us. And he's saying, hey, you want the greatest joy in marriage? Do this the way I designed it. Fellas, lay down your life for your wife like Christ laid down his life for the church. AKA, it's not about you. You're not the point. And this illustrates to everybody who does not yet believe Jesus is Messiah, this illustrates Christ's love. It's a picture. 
I may not have seen Jesus in the flesh, but somebody showed me a picture because he worked so hard at loving his wife. In the early 50s, Zig Ziglar was a young man who was starting his life in sales. And he won a sales contest, and the winner got this prize Virginia ham. And he was so excited. He brought it home, and his wife said, Oh, honey, I'm so proud. He was great. I'll, I'll, I'll start the oven right away. You know, and she sets to work, whatever. And he's talking about, he's excitedly talking about work, whatever. And, but to his horror... She pulls out a large knife, cuts the end off of the ham, sticks it in the pan, and puts it... And he freaks out. Why'd you cut the whole end of the ham off? What's going on? And his wife kind of freezes for a moment and goes, I don't know. My mom always cut the end of the ham off. Anybody had a fight like this? Married, formerly married, anybody had a fight like this? I don't know why I do that. And then you stop and go, that's how it was always modeled for me. She called up her mom. Hey, mom, why do we always cut the end of the ham off? Uh, I don't know. Grandma always cut the end of the ham off. <laughs> and they later got a hold of grandma and said, Grandma, why are you cutting the end of the ham off? We don't know. We've been doing this for years and don't know why. And she said, I don't know why you guys are cutting the end of the ham off. My pan was too short. <laughs> oh. okay. the, the story illustrates... There's a lot of teaching that is simply modeling, and I don't have to say a word. Three generations deep, you could get the exact same behavior without ever saying with your mouth, hey, this is how you cut a ham. You, you, you cut the hand, end of the ham off before you stick it in the oven. Nobody ever said those words. And yet something could be passed three generations deep. As an aside, anybody ever had anything evil and dark and broken past three generations deep? that was never said verbally, you just watched it modeled. Okay, guys? Marriage shows the world how. It is an illustration of how. I don't have to say, although we do absolutely, the church says with our words, a verbal proclaimed gospel that Christ came into the world, according to the scriptures, he died, and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. Right? To offer forgiveness of sins to you and to me. That message, Romans 1.16, is the power of God at work. What? Doing what? Saving everyone who believes. The gospel is absolutely a proclaimed message. And yet over and over and over again, the scripture also says, hey, your life is a sign and is a testimony. Somebody can see the love of God so clearly if a Christian man will lay down his life for his bride, day in and day out, and it's not going to be easy, crosses are hard. It is a sign to people who do not believe Jesus is Messiah. God loves me, nonsense. I don't believe that. Saw a pretty breathtaking and vitriolic Facebook thread yesterday related to abortion. The post was about abortion. And as I read the comments, people raging down beneath, one comment in particular stood out to me where the person's argument was essentially, you can't, you can't show me that God saved me and you can't prove that God loves me. 
Guys, abortion is not about science. The, the arguments against it prove it. it, it we've got 3D sonograms. We, we can see that it's a baby. This isn't about science. People are raging against a pro-life post saying, you can't prove that God loves me. No way. There's something intensely spiritual going on. And God has told us, hey, Christians, especially Christian men, you laying down your life for your wife, it is gonna be an image to a lost and dying world. That's one of the reasons I made marriage. It's gonna be an image of my love. And this is what that love looks like. Christian men, is this what your marriage looks like? Well, that's a weird image, Greg. I thought we're supposed to be happy and there's supposed to be joy. Well, that's funny. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus went to his cross for the joy. He saw a heavy price and said, that's worth it. Honoring my father, obeying my father, loving my bride, the church, worth it. So especially you young bucks who are not married, I'm here to love you and to serve you by telling you marriage is the hardest thing that you will ever do until you're a parent. Did you notice how I put that little asterisk there? <laughs> it's the hardest thing you will ever do and it's worth it. And if you do not go to a cross laying down your life for your wife, you're telling God that you're in charge of that marriage. You're telling him who died for you, you are not worthy of my life being an image to a lost and dying world. You can save me from my sins, but that's not gonna affect my behavior. I'm good, I'm on, I'm on my own, I'm gonna do it my way. Which really, in the long term, that's not how a Christian thinks, is it? Anybody here willing to testify that you stayed in a deep-seated, purposeful rebellion, and it might have been weeks, it might have even been months, but at some point the Holy Spirit choked you out and you were miserable until you submitted to God. That, that's where I was at when I was 19 years old. I tried to behave as a non-Christian, doing things my way, when there was this little problem, I was a Christian. And the Holy Spirit made me miserable. I was doing everything that should have been fun. It should have been making me happy. And I was more miserable than I had ever been. Brothers and sisters, some of you are miserable in your disobedience and that is the mercy of God. It's his mercy. ARCF, guests, if you're new and you don't know this, our fourth core value is this. Go tell people about Jesus. Go tell people about Jesus. And... The Holy Spirit, through our brother Paul, has said that marriage is a symbol, an evangelistic symbol. It shows the love of God toward rebels like you and me. So this means that supporting marriages around us can even be something that is done to show off the love and mercy of God. It, it is evangelism. So I want to ask you, Christian, would you support the marriages around you however you can? If marriage is evangelism, if evangelism is commanded in Scripture and it's one of our core values as a church family, 
Supporting marriage matters. And this right here, this is one of several reasons why this six weeks is not just for people who are currently married. We have a lot of people in our church who are single again for whatever reason. And the scriptures say that gray hair is a crown of glory. And some of us are in the thick of it, trying, fighting against the enemy of our souls to make marriage work, and we need you. Do you know that? You've been through divorce? Fine, we still need you. You have wisdom and experience we desperately need. You've wrestled with things with the Lord that maybe we haven't wrestled with. Widows, widowers, you've been married, you've done this. We need you. If the people who are 20 years your junior ever, especially on Sunday morning, put on a nice shirt, put on the smiley face, if we ever look like we have our acts together, I promise you we're lying. We do not know what we're doing in marriage. We've never done this before. We are humans. How long is life? Uh, it's a vapor, according to Solomon. You know those little spray bottles? So you think I'm sitting here at age 36 on a pile of infinite wisdom? Huh? Probably not. Probably not. Brothers and sisters, this isn't up on the screen, this isn't in your notes, but I'm begging you. Support the marriages around you. Here's what it looks like. Come and babysit for free so mama can get a nap. That's supporting a marriage. Go up and tell a couple, especially if you're in good relationship with them, Tell a couple that you are for them. Go tell a couple that you are their biggest cheerleader and that you are praying for them and encourage them that they're gonna make it and offer yourself as a resource. They need encouragement. The next time we have a marriage conference, you find a couple that's young and broke and sponsor them and say, you're going to the marriage conference where I'm bending you over my knee. I'm 40 years older than you, so I said so. The church has got to start acting more like a family. <laughs> we say family, but can someone, you know, make you pick your switch? <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I just want to remind you, the, the older men in the room, you may have felt this way when you were younger, and I just want to remind you, and I'm going to be really specific, uh, if Keith Gittins comes to me in a firm voice and tells me in a specific way that I'm going to invest in my marriage and here's how it's going to happen, do you know I have almost nothing inside me that could say no? There is in something inside men that we naturally have this deference to age and experience. There's something in that. And I think we forget. I know that I forget. Sometimes I want to be a little bit more assertive in the life of teenagers and early 20-somethings who aren't married yet. I want to be more assertive, and then I have these voices that tell me to back off a little bit. And the scripture says, let the older men teach the younger men. How, how to do what? How to love their wives. You know how else you could really invest? The big, long-term, slow-grow way to invest in marriages in this church, saints? 
is be faithful in participating in a disciple group because our disciple groups are not exclusive. There are single people in there. There are married people in there. There are children in there. There are teenagers in there. There are seniors, everybody in between. So you're naturally going to be in relationship with people who are married or who were married or who hope to be married one day. And this is not critiquing in any way. When you have women's ministries, it's inherently exclusive. This is for the ladies, right? Okay? You do a parenting class. That's pretty exclusive. Hey, if you're struggling in parenting right now, we want you to come. Like, this is for a specific group. Disciple groups are the opposite of that. It's, hey, married people, you need some single friends. Hey, boomers, you need some Gen Z friends, and they desperately need you. Support the marriages around you because marriage is an evangelistic image to a lost and dying world. ARCF, I want us to take marriage so seriously. You do not have to be married right now to support and encourage and bless somebody else. And if they are 20 years your junior, I really want you to have that couple on your radar. I know I just gave a ton of work to some of you. (laughs) Wait a minute. Most of them, I'm old enough to be their dad, I know. But I believe, as the scriptures point out, let the older men teach the younger men. Let the older women teach the younger women. I believe the older you get, the more ministry you get. That was for free. Okay. Second, a great marriage fills God's world with God's image. We're getting into some theological deep waters here, but this is critical in understanding what marriage is. So if you're in the hardback black Bible that we just passed out, please turn to page three. Everybody else go to Genesis 126. Genesis 126. I'm running out of time here, but we're going to do our best because this is really critical. Um, I feel like I've got to get this in here. Ren and I were in a conversation probably not even seven or eight months ago about this and it, getting taught from the pulpit in a way that was at minimum not helpful, uh, if not abusive. And so we've got to set the record straight. Verse 26, read with me. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the ground and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And this is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he said it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So I need to introduce you quickly 
to the world of theologians, people that like big books and use big words. What we just read, theologians call the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate of all that humans do and how they organize and how they fill the earth and how they steward the earth. Everything flowed out of a command of God. Everything that had been created before this point on the sixth day did not have God's image, but humanity does. We look like him in a way that a grizzly bear does not, a rock and a tree do not. We look like our creator, male and female, the two halves of humanity. We look like our creator. And then what does he say? Look at this through theological lenses, not physical ones. He doesn't just say, hey, make babies and go conquer the earth, subdue it. We're doing what? He wants his image bearers to multiply, to be creative. He's a creative God. And he wants to see his image out governing in his delegated authority everywhere he goes. Rule the earth on my behalf. I want to look everywhere all over earth and I want to see my image reflected back on me. And also, let's, let's be really clear. He's talking to a sinless humanity. He wants to see his image all throughout the earth in perfect connection to him, not in rebellion against. So a couple chapters from now, when we tell God where to go and how to get there, we introduce problems, to say the least. The cultural mandate, at its, at its essence, is a loving, creating God. If he is perfection of all beauty and all justice and all mercy, the only loving thing he could do is to create beings that could receive perceive and receive his beauty and his glory and his mercy, okay? If he's half as awesome as the scripture says he is, the only loving thing would be to create somebody so that they could see his beauty. And he did. And he had the authority to say, I want to see my image scattered all across my creation. Go govern it. Govern all the animals, steward everything. Um, it's a, it's a, a bigger version of what he starts off with Adam. Adam, you take care of this garden. He gives him a bite-sized thing to steward, but he tells all humanity to govern the whole world. And a part of that was, is an echo of the creative nature of God. Okay? Only the two halves of humanity, a male and a female, can together make a child. And then those babies make more babies, and those babies make more babies, and we have humanity. Okay. So is this verse telling us that we're sinning if we don't have kids? I sure hope not. Sarah had cried enough tears when she was 91 and didn't have kids. Right? Elizabeth, before she conceived John the Baptist, I think she'd cried a few tears. Guys, this command is before chapter three. It is an image of an ideal, what God would like to have happen. And we live in a broken world now with death and sickness and sorrow. And we don't get to presume upon anything. So did God just quit? Did he say, oh, well, human rebellion messed up my plan, so we're done here? Nope, I'm glad you asked. No, in fact, when he called out Abraham, he said what? 
through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That sounds similar. I'm still going to show my love and mercy across this broken world. One of the prophets says, in that day, the knowledge of God will fill the earth as the water fills the seas. He is saying, uh, image bearers being in right relationship with me, that's going to happen. And then what happens? The church. Jesus Christ dies the death we should have died to offer forgiveness freely to us. By faith, we receive it. We are adopted into his church. And we're doing what? For 2,000 years now, we've been going to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, telling of the mercy of Jesus. The knowledge of God is filling the earth. God is winning, even when it doesn't feel like it. He's doing his thing. And he is filling the earth with people who are in right relationship with him that look like him, that give him honor and glory. The cultural mandate is absolutely being fulfilled. It's being fulfilled through the church. So brothers and sisters... It's already in your notes. I'm going to skip the Johnny Appleseed story. It doesn't matter. We can and must pass on the love and fear of the Lord to the next generation. We have to. Whether or not a child is your kid biologically. Has anybody ever signed up to teach Sunday school and thought, oh, I can't do it because those aren't my kids biologically? Thank you. One person just laughed out loud. It's laughable, isn't it? It's laughable. How scary would that be if you have eight children in a classroom and they're all yours biologically and it's only the first through third grade class? (laughs) Octomom got saved and came to church. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we are obeying the cultural mandate. From the beginning, God telling us how man and woman together are humanity and they need each other. Everybody knows, right, if, if, when you want your spouse to act like you, think like you, etc. If, if, if God wanted there to be two of you, he, he would have made it that way, right? We're fundamentally saying that the other is unnecessary when we think this way. Right? We've got to make investments in other human beings to help them love Jesus Christ, serve Jesus Christ, period. We have to. Because the knowledge of God is going to fill the earth. He said it. It's going to happen. God doesn't lie. So do you want to get to be a part of the fulfillment of what God has declared? Or do you want to sit on the sidelines? Here's some next steps. Make an investment in kids' adventure. Make an investment in kids' adventure. Give your time and your energy and your passion to children. You can keep doing that for a long time. Who here has ever said before, man, I love being a grandparent. You sugar them up for a few hours and send them back to mom and dad. Who's ever said that? Just admit it. Okay. 75 minutes long. That's how long kids' adventure is. Okay? If you, ha- if you can make it, if you can give your energy and give your love for 75 minutes, you can be a part of building the future of the church. You're, you're doing nothing less than building the future of the church. What a privilege. Something else you can do to fulfill the cultural mandate. Become a foster parent or support one. The cultural mandate doesn't talk about being a foster parent because there's no brokenness yet. 
But in a broken world, the church has been coming behind the mess for 2,000 years and trying to bring light and love and healing. Because what did Jesus do when we made a mess? He entered it in, and it wasn't his fault, but he made it his responsibility. The church has been doing the same thing for 2,000 years. Something else you can do to fulfill the spiritual mandate. Be your spiritual auntie or uncle to those in your disciple group who are younger than you. You know this will happen naturally if you spend enough time together. We need more spiritual aunties in the church. We need more spiritual uncles and grandpas and grandmas in the church. Desperately. Desperately. I was only 20 when somebody made me a youth pastor and I could already see that I would say things to 15-year-old students and they would just go, oh, okay. They would just accept it. And when I talked with their parents, they'd just pull their hair out. It's like, I've been trying to tell them that a thousand times. As I, as a teenager, as I'm stepping out to become my own self, my own person, I'm looking for voices that I respect outside of my parents. Brothers and sisters, let's not fight human psychology. How God designed our brain and our heart to start to yearn for a broader community. And instead of pooling together all of the stupidity, I'm sorry, what's the, what's the formal name? Oh, high school. That's what we call it, sorry. Instead of having one person in the room who has the slightest clue outnumbered 30 to one, what if the church said, we're gonna give you some people who really love you who are in their 20s that you can respect because of the way they live their life. And we're gonna give you some people in their 40s who you could respect because of the way they live their lives and the way they serve you. And we've got some people in their 70s who you can respect and love because of the way they live their life and the way they serve you. Brothers and sisters, we got a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do with teenagers. But I believe it starts with living a life worthy of respect. And then it's gonna follow up with a lot of serving. So I don't normally, in a single week, just launch a ministry. But hey, you only live once. So... If you do not have a bulletin, please throw a hand up and a volunteer is going to get you one because everybody needs a bulletin. Inside, you're going to see a slip that says, yes, sign me up for a four by four. I want to be in a four by four. What's a four by four, Pastor Greg? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I haven't even talked to the elders about this. This is how experiments, so this will just, this will end in tears for sure. I have a dream, and I'll see if it's worth a darn. If you do not want to sign up, do not sign up. That's how easy it is. I've been asking myself, self, what would happen if I put four men together in a group that the only criteria for those four men Carl, you're in my group. Don't worry, you don't have to sign up. Um, (laughs) What would happen if I put four men in a group together and the only criteria is that I wanted them as spread apart as possible in age? What if I put a 14-year-old young man 
with a dude who's 27 and a guy who's 53 and a guy who's 71. And I told them, hey guys, I'm going to give you guys each other's phone number and your commitment is to do this. Over the next four months, I want you to get together once a month and do something fun that you were going to do anyway. This changes your calendar zero because Jared Harvey is already spending his free time on woodworking, so if he's in your group, you know you're going to woodwork at least once. Okay? It's going to happen. We're not inventing anything new. What if four guys got together four different times over four months, and starting with the senior member, we go do something fun, and we start off asking the oldest guy, hey, what do you want to do? We're going to go join you. And we spent time together. What do you think would happen? And the second time you get together, the second oldest gets to pick what you're going to do, and you're going to go have fun, something you would have been doing anyway. And the other three get to learn something new, and you get time together. What would happen? Here's what I'm asking you, ARCF, to think through and to ask yourselves. Would the church fundamentally be stronger if we had meaningful relationships across generations? That's what I'm asking you to ask yourself. And I guess what I'm asking you to ask yourself is, in the world in which we live right now, are we desperately deficient of our intergenerational relationships? We are missing something, and the church has so much to offer. So if you want to hang out and have fun with three other people who are going to be very different ages than yourself and hopefully do so to the glory of God, I want you to put your name and phone number and age on that little slip and leave it right there on your chair. I'm going to come through and collect them. And I'm going to put people in groups this week and I'm going to shoot out a text and say, here are your three new friends. And I know that's scary. If you're an introvert like me, you're like, ah, I don't. That's all right. That's all right. If all I get is three slips from three fellas, the four of us are going to go have a great time, okay? I just want to see, I just want to see if the Lord might make us stronger if we would hang out together. And then we're very much out of time, so I'm just going to give you your last blank, and then we're going to be done. This is where freedom comes. Realizing that marriage is not about me frees me to serve my spouse, And it frees me to worship the God who created marriage. Guys, if he created it as an image of his love, he intends to get worship and praise and adoration out of it. So here's my question to Christian couples. Who is praising God right now because of how you love each other? Who is praising God right now because of how you love each other? Will will your children praise God one day, today? 10 years from now, 30 years from now, will they praise God? Serving your spouse isn't going to happen so long as you think it's about you. And worshiping God is not going to happen so long as you think it's about you. If you're young and single and hope to be married one day, I hope that this slide might just save your marriage. It's not about you. It's not about me. And we're running long, so we're going to ask the Lord to... uh, Bless each of us from his word and have a ripple effect throughout the week, resonate in our hearts. Disciple groups are starting tonight, in fact. Um, The Wednesday night marriage group, there's probably room for one or two more couples. Um, If you want to join that one, some others have some space, definitely. Um, So this is when groups launch. Make sure 
to do that. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna watch an announcement video, okay? Lord Jesus, we have so much to learn about marriage. There's so much growth, God, that we need if we're willing to be humble and admit it. And God, we really need each other. We need a degree of authenticity that finds its safety in a clearly communicated love. God, personally, I I thank you for the brothers in this church who are not impressed by me in any way. The brothers that know my junk. The brothers that don't have to hesitate when they see me doing a poor job loving Emily, that they can say what they need to say. God, we need that grace for everybody. God, help us support each other. Help us encourage each other. Help us teach each other. Because we want Citrus Heights to see how much you love them. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. Let's go ahead and watch some announcements. Well, good morning, ARCF family. There is not enough thanks that can be stated for all of you who volunteer in some sort of capacity here at this church. To sacrifice your time is not only appreciated by your fellow church family members, but we know for a fact that God just loves it when we serve others. With that being said, we have another opportunity coming up for you to serve, not only for your church family, but also for our community. We are called to be good stewards with our land, and we have some trash that has been left up on the promised land. So we are organizing a cleanup this Saturday, September 18th. Starting time will be 8 a.m. and coffee and snacks will be provided. And we'll also have trash bags, trash grabbers, and gloves to aid us in this cleanup. Now, due to safety concerns, we are asking that no children be brought to this cleanup. We do not know what sort of trash will be up there, but in the past, we have found sharp objects that no one wants to get poked with. So make sure you wear your long pants and closed-toe shoes. Oh, and if you have a pickup truck and are willing to take items to the dump, please contact the church office and know that this type of assistance is greatly appreciated. So if you're willing and able to help out this coming Saturday, then we'll see you there at 8 a.m. Christmas is coming. Yeah, that's right. I said it. As of yesterday, Christmas is only 15 weeks away. So I have one question for you. Have you done your shopping yet? You haven't? Then we have a great opportunity for you coming up. The Holiday Boutique is back and will be held right here on the campus on Saturday, December 4th. Now, Jeremy, why are you announcing this so early? Well, I am so glad that you asked that question. In order to have a boutique, you need vendors. But we have good news on that front. So many of the vendors in the past love coming here, so they have already signed up to join us again. So what does that mean for you? That means that vendor spots are filling up fast. So if you want to be a vendor at the Holiday Boutique, you need to sign up ASAP. Once spots are filled up, there will be no squeezing anyone in, no matter how big your guilt trip is. Mm Mm-hmm. You know who you are. 
So anyway, if you want to sign up to become a vendor, please make sure you head over to myarcf.com forward slash holiday boutique. Don't worry if you didn't have a chance to write that website down. There's a flyer in your bulletin. So make sure you save the date and sign up as soon as you can if you want to become a vendor. Before I take off, I've got one quick reminder for you. If you adopted a backpack, they are due today. They've got to be packed up and shipped off. So make sure you turn them in before you leave. All right, church family, that's all I've got for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read it left to right, front to back for more events and more information. All right. Love you guys. Have a great week.